Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hey everyone, this is Matt, and today on Streams of Progress, I am joined by Amel Murphy, who is the co-founder and director of Sustain Leadership. During the discussion, Amel shared her leadership journey and how diversity and inclusion are core to her mission to help organizations grow and reach their full potential. So join us as we dive into the conversation. So I'm here with Amal Murphy, who is the co-founder and director of Sustain Leadership. So welcome, Amal. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Of course. And uh, Sustain Leadership is a boutique consultancy that specializes in diversity and inclusion, leadership development, and transformational change management. So uh, I just wanted to, before we dive into everything that's going on with Sustain Leadership, wanted to get a little bit about your background, where are you from, and you know, tell us a story about how you came here to Dubai. Okay, so <laughs> it's interesting. So I'm, I'm a mixed race. So I grew up in different part of Africa. And uh, I, I grew up in Africa until the age of 15. I had a really, I would say I had a really exciting life in a sense where I traveled quite a lot my, with my parents and beyond with my work. So I've lived in over 17 countries so far. And Dubai is one of them. Yeah, and here I am now, like, you know, so. <laughs> and so uh, where were you born? So I'm born in Algeria. I was born in Algeria. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, and that's where I spent, I didn't spend a lot of, like, you know, that's where I spent some of my life, but not a lot, really. Mm-hmm. So So just before we started recording, you mentioned that you had never lived in a country more than, was it three or four years before moving on to the next place? Yeah, three years, yeah. So you're always used to the change. I am, I am. And I think I thrive on that, actually. It's one of, uh, uh, for me, is, uh, I thrive on novelty, mm-hmm. like new things. Mm-hmm. I consider myself, actually, a, a global citizen or wireless nomad, I say to people, because... This is it. I'm home everywhere. I can't call one place home. For me, home is is where I make of it, put it this way. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Okay, great. And so, um, I mean, as we think about your story, mm. you worked in the corporate world for a long time, right? As I was doing some research, you had 18 years yeah. of corporate experience yeah. and with, I think, I believe eight years as an executive in the yes. oil and gas sector. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that. And, and now we understand you're an entrepreneur, but I'm sure there was a journey there to get oh, yeah. you from A to B. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Uh, for, for me, as, as I've, I've always, I grew, I grew up in, in, um, in a family where value of contribution was very high. So adding value to a system was part of how my parents raised us. Mm-hmm. They both serve, like, you know, they, they, uh, uh, they both spend their entire life serving various group of people, uh, including ourselves and organization they worked for and communities. And so when I, when I was growing up, I, the sense of uh, adding value and contributing and accountability was really high. So for me, it was really important that whatever I join, wherever, whatever organization I'm part of, is um, I'm contributing to. So I started my career because we were living in Africa at the time, uh, in oil-rich countries. So oil and gas was always uh, in the radar. And uh, 
although my parents or most of my siblings didn't follow that route, for me, I was really, really intrigued. And the fact that people around me were saying like, you know, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't be this, you can't be that. I was like, why? Why I can't be what I want to be? I should be able to choose what I want. And my parents really um, uh, developed that sense of choice within us. They never forced us to do things that we didn't want to do. And they were really clear about uh, the need to to educate ourselves as being the mean to to progress. So I had the opportunity to actually join one of, at the time or still actually, the largest group in the world as an intern. And I was quite young. I was only 18. And from that, it just, like, things completely changed for me. Like, you know, I started, uh, I didn't want to go to university, although I was a brilliant uh, student, but school were not stimulating for me. They were not challenging me at all. And but I was I was interested in in what I was learning with the with the, with the organization at the time, and I realized that this is what I want. I want to do things. I want to be learning as as I go along. So I started my career as uh, uh, as a graduate recruit, where they paid for my education. So they actually, uh, you know, following my internship, one of the guys decided that actually I have a great potential and. Uh, as someone that they should invest in and being a female and all. And I was not, I was very bullish, like, you know, I, nothing scared me. I was ready for anything and everything. I was, I was taking more risks than I ever done in my life, I think, in those days. <laughs> like, nothing scared me. I was invincible. And my parents were extremely supportive in those days, mm-hmm. like, you know, and still up to today. But they were pushing. They were saying, okay, my dad, the only condition for him, it was actually... You can do whatever. You can go to work and work per full time. But you have to promise me that you finish your education. If you don't study, there is no work. Mm. And so I had to actually work and study from uh, day one. So my bachelor and my master's, they both were paid for, funded by organizations. Mm. So, Wow, incredible. Originally, you said that a lot of people were discouraging you from going to either business or industry or something like that. What were some of the drivers and the reasons and that, you know, your reflection on that? So, so there's a lot of stereotypes around, around what women should do and shouldn't and what they can do and they can't and all. So, for example, when I showed up, when I showed up even on, because I was working on rig sites, so I was in supply chain. And I was a choice. Like I, when, when, I, uh, when I did my graduate assessment, they saw that they ha- I had the potential to be in four different fields. And three of them were actually office based. And I was like, I don't think so. I want to be out of this office <laughs> as far as possible. And so when I, when I, when I joined the Rick side, the first comments I used to get from the guys is like, uh, what's wrong with you? Do you have a problem with your family? Are you looking for a husband? And I'm like, no, can I not just choose? Can I not decide? What's, what's the problem? I, I really could not understand why people couldn't respect or acknowledge that I have a choice and I should, I should actually decide about uh, what to do. And some people used to say to me, you know, to discourage me, they say, it's tough, it's tough, it's a male thing. I said, I live with men. They never had, like, you know, they, they don't bite. Like, my dad is a man. He doesn't bite. Like, you know, he's a human. So, like, let, let's not create these monsters out of nothing because actually the best years or the best learnings I had were when I spent, like, in my early years in, uh, in the field because the men in the fields helped me a lot to grow. 
And I helped them actually adjust their processes and systems because they got so used to doing things certain ways. And the average age of a guy in Rexa was like in their late 40s, so I was the youngest. So they treated me like their daughter, you know? So most of them actually had a paternal uh, instinct over. So, and so the, the idea of like a lot of people used to say to me, but you have to have a lot of muscle because you have to push things. I said, excuse me, in the rig side, we don't use our hand, we use our brain. And I think I've been given one. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was very, uh, and the, the good thing is, is actually my parents, my parents are, uh, because I'm one of five girls, okay? So I don't know what it means to have a boy or a brother okay. in a family, just mm. to be clear. So a lot of my colleagues or friends, I've seen them, like, you know, it's their, you know, their brothers or fathers dictating what was allowed or not. My parents were the opposite. I didn't have a brother that decided, and I don't think my dad would have allowed it, because even when family members tried to get involved, my, my dad was very, very adamant about, like, you know, I know my girls, I trust them. And he was like, his, his thing was, used to say to us, he said, I give you your freedom. You can do whatever you want, but just honor my honor. Mm. So, and for us, like, you know, I come from a, a mixed background, like a mixed religion as well, but my father is Muslim. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know. Uh, Respecting keeping, that is very important. It's very important. There, there, is, there is a line that you never cross. And I think, you know what? Having given us the freedom and saying you have the freedom to be and to, to whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. just respect that actually made us as girls put more boundaries than he would have ever put for you mm -hmm. for us you self-imposed yeah just out of respect for him it is it is mm -hmm. for me each time that i was to do something i would say what would my dad think about it how would that lend on him how would that affect him and i must say most of the time because he was so uh my dad is is really really a caring, forgiving, uh, a nur he, he's a nurturer. He's a big, big uh, softy, I would say. Mm -hmm. like, that's, what <laughs> that's the best kind of dad, right? <laughs> it is. It's fantastic <laughs> because he allows you. He is like, so like when you fail or when you make mistakes, you don't feel bad about it because you know that it's not like, as long as your intention is good, it's, it's just part of the journey. And he never actually... Uh, when I say, I used to say, like, when I left my corporate world, like, because I had a really extremely, what the world would say, it's a, a, a successful career. When I left it, I felt a failure. And my dad said to me, you failed the day when you failed yourself. Like, when you stopped caring about yourself, that's the day when you failed. Not because you dropped your executive role. That's not who you are. That's not what defines you as a whole and I think having him and having my mom saying like you know just don't worry about uh, what happened and what uh, what will happen in the future and all don't get too bugged about that just take the time just step out if it's not serving you step out and for me it was the most liberating moment because it took me four years to make a decision to exit a role mm -hmm. that was leading me to depression it was causing me to lose my all myself, like, you know. But I wouldn't make that decision because I was, I was lost. I didn't know what to do. Who am I? I could not define who am I beyond my title. Because I was so afraid once I lose it, 
what will happen to me? Like who I became? Like, you know, from somebody, you know, people opening door for and inviting to this and respecting, acknowledging for inputs, uh, people reaching out to you for guidance and this and that. To really reduce to nothing, it was like, for me, it's, it's like, it's again, it's my sense of responsibility and my sense of contribution that got challenged there. Like those values got challenged. And I thought, at some point I was saying to myself, I, I kept saying to myself, I'm not a failure, I'm not a failure. And then I said to myself, I'm failing at all levels and I'm not recognizing it here. I'm just, I'm so far in the dark that I'm not actually seeing how it's affecting me and my family actually. No. And after four years of thinking about it and dwelling on the process of potentially leaving your role and the security of working for a corporate large company and environment, um, you know, what was the trigger or what kind of put you over the edge to, to convince you that you should take the opportunity to do something else? I think it was my health. I suffered from, uh, people call it burnout. I call it depression. I'm sorry, it was depression. <laughs> it was... It was, it was the fact that I didn't take care about my mental health. I pushed myself beyond recognition, like actually beyond. For what as well? I had no focus, no focus whatsoever about what I wanted. When I started my career, I was extremely, extremely clear and focused about what I wanted, why I joined the workforce and what kind of impact I wanted to create. But along the line, along the way, I actually lost those bearings. You know, and I started to be, rather than be intuitive and being curious, because one of the things that was recognized and uh, like uh, acknowledged and appreciated by a lot of people is my curiosity. I still had, uh, I still had that child mind, like why? I'm always questioning why. And it's not to be a pain, but it's just actually to to derive something better, to know what we yeah. To learn so new things. That's it. But I lost that. I lost that. Uh, uh, ability to question as I moved up the rank because I was so obsessed about getting to the top and I forgot why I was why the reason why I wanted to get to the top mm-hmm. it became just an obsession no I get there and then I'll change things I get there and then I'll change things but I was there already but I wasn't doing anything I wasn't doing anything I was just finding another excuse that I needed to be a little bit higher than uh, the, the usual so that I can have more influence what I was influencing all the time I was influencing all the time in my career, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of it, like, you know. Mm -hmm. And when you did finally decide to leave um, and pursue something else, did you already have the idea in mind for sustained leadership? And did you have a plan of exactly what you wanted to do or at least a vision? Uh, No, initially, no. So for me, it took me two years, actually, where I had to recover. I needed to recuperate and find my bearings. But in those two years, actually, uh, the temptation was really strong because a lot of the people I worked with in the past uh, were like, you know, we worked with big fives and also there was a lot of temptation, a lot of invites from individuals to be part of their system or to intervene as a consultant and all. And I, I kept resisting the urge because I thought, okay, I'm stepping out for space so that I can make a... a more conscious decisions, like a more intentional decisions now, rather than just being in the race and do, 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 do. Like, you know, I wanted to cut away from that pattern. So it took me two years to actually uh, go back. And when I went back, I actually, sustained leadership was not there because I started consulting about nine years ago. And I started sustained leadership until when we moved here. 
So when I was in London, I started getting involved in projects that really interested me. And I was, uh, what, I've, what I've seen is, is what I've noticed is, is actually uh, the network that I had and all enabled me actually to expand and do what I wanted. And the more I was intervening in things uh, in London, in the UK, I realized there was one area that I, I was attracted by and all, or that was, there was a gap. It was the way we develop our leaders, the way actually we include people, how we, how we actually tap into the talent that we have. I, I felt like, you know, most one of the biggest challenge organizations have is really, really engaging the full talent of an individual, the potential, really. We keep talking about potential, potential, but we don't actually have, uh, we don't create the environment, the conducive environment to actually leverage that or to bring it up to the surface. So, so that's why I started actually, uh, two years down the line, I decided to go back and to work as a freelancer. So I was working as an associate to several uh, 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 consultancy, like big brands and all. But I, I found myself going back to the same trap again, where I was just... Trying to climb up that ladder. Again. Or, yeah. And just designing things that don't add value. I knew it. Like, I knew my intervention is not going to add value. I know that. But I still pursued it. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I'm repeating the same thing. I'm repeating the same pattern. So I met a couple of other people, people that worked with me before in, in, uh, in one of in my latest organization. And we decided uh, why not like we do something different that really add value to people and support organization and create change agents because that's what we wanted. We can't be the only, like the more I think for me the realization is if you want to tip a system, you need to create the mass around the change. And to do that, you do it through people. You can't be the person. Like if you're a consultant, you know, you enter, you do a piece of work and you exit. You're seeding only. If it's not maintained, it's lost. So by intervening in a system and trying to identify individuals who can be, who can lead, who can be accountable, take ownership over a project or something like that, that is... That is for me as uh, what I call what, what I call like you know successful intervention because I sustain that work mm -hmm. through creation of change agent, you know. So, and within the context of sustained leadership, mm -hmm. how do you do that practically? What is your business model, and how do you engage with your clients? Is it mm -hmm. seminars, consulting, workshops, or, or how do you go about it? Okay, so so for us, we have uh, we have two 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 parts. So we have the advisory part, which we consult with the organization, uh, trying to understand, trying to help them actually most of the time understanding what is the problem, what is the real question, because I feel like most of the time. We don't actually, we constantly respond to symptoms. We, we don't have the, uh, maybe we don't have the depth or the capabilities or the time sometimes to actually dig deep. So as, as, as a partner or as a guide or as an advisor to an organization, my role is actually to help them get to the bottom, the real question, but in, uh, also in a quicker way, accelerate that. Because we don't have, I, I understand nobody has the time, that much time or the space to actually do uh, full-fledged stuff. So we're always trying to find uh, more efficient ways 
to help them find a real question, real question, so that we can design collectively solutions. So a lot of the time, like, yeah, the solution could involve actually facilitating a, a, an intervention in the form of a, of a program, uh, a workshop, uh, a learning session. And sometimes it's, it's actually processes within the organizations that needs to be adjusted, needs to be overlooked or... And most of the time, like, you know, when we, when we actually design, like, interventions, we do multi-layered. We say, this is, this, is, this is the first part, and this is what you achieve. And we try to, we try to be as, as, uh, as far as possible about what can we guarantee in terms of outcome. Because we know everybody wants to know what is the outcome of your interventions, you know? And that's really important. So, so what tends to happen is what we notice with clients is they, they realize is in our intervention, although we're hired, let's say, for diversity and inclusions, and one client, he said to me, the, the one thing that I appreciate with you, what I see with you, than either a consultancy firm or other uh, learning development house, is the fact that whatever you intervene, you motivate, you motivate my people for action. So you create that movement within my organization, which actually alleviate some of the work from my uh, side. And I thought, yes, you know, this is it. Actually, we're activating, we're activating change agent. And it doesn't take, actually, what I'm realizing, it doesn't take a lot, really. It just, it requires us to listen, to be attentive. And as we are constantly doing, doing, we actually forget to do that. Hmm. How do you go about finding new clients and expanding your base and uh, okay. marketing yeah. yourself and growing your business? I have to say, it's been uh, a word of mouth. I started, when I started my business, uh, I had three clients. One of them was where my, was my previous employer. And from there, it just, uh, like, people recommend you. Because people see you in different uh, in different settings, and for me, I'm, uh, one thing that I uh, that I get as always as feedback is I'm congruent. I don't shift. My messages are very clear in term, or I believe they're very clear. My engagement is uh, are in one, two, three. Like you know, I don't go beyond that, and I don't pretend to be uh, expert in everything. And because I create, people see me in, for example, in our circles, like, you know, I have a lot of extra uh, activity beyond, like, consultancy, because I feel like, you know, uh, I, if, I'm, uh, if I'm a member of social society, like civil society, I need to be, I need to be addressing or I need to be supporting some of the challenges, like addressing some of the challenges of society. So, so one of it is, is actually word of mouth. So clients recommending me, recommending me. Or sometimes it's just because I take time and building relationships. I take my time. I don't uh, try to... Uh, I'm not a big networker, but I do network really smartly, I would say. I, t I take my time to know people, and those people trust me. I build trust. So then afterwards, I'm invited within the system without me asking sometimes, like, you know. So thank, th thank God this is how it happened, like... Uh, we started with three clients. Now we have, we work with almost 13 clients. Yeah, and they're all multinationals, by the way. I intervene in, uh, my, my job is not just in the UAE, mm -hmm. hardly in the UAE, actually. Okay. I don't do a lot of, 
unfortunately, I would love to do more work in, uh, in, in the UAE, but a lot of my work happens in Europe, in the US, Africa and all. But, and I do a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion work here in the region because I feel it's, it's needed, mm. it's really important. And, uh, and it's, some, it's a space where I can add value as well, like, you know, so, uh, so yeah. And have you seen the concepts of diversity and inclusion grow and develop over the last couple of years? And in which direction are they yeah. headed? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, yes, I would say uh, there has been a movement, there has been a shift, I would say, from, uh, from 20 years ago, from 10 years ago, where people were talking about diversity as just gender, culture and all, to looking at diversity at a deeper level, layered again as value system as thought process as perspective and all which is actually helping us uh, uh, engage with bigger audience because I think limiting it to gender or to cultures and to generational it doesn't like you know it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg and the iceberg is very rooted, like, you know, it's deep. So I so-called iceberg for no reason. So for you to limit me, for example, to my gender and judge me, like I decide, oh, this is, it's, it's, it's very uh, naive or a very sim simple view. So there, there, are, there are more to me than being a female, you know? So I, I think like uh, what, I, what I've seen actually, what I've seen, which was really surprising, I've seen more and more companies in the region taking the, the diversity and inclusion topic uh, on board, embracing it, at least doing some groundwork awareness. Because I, I realized like uh, while, while other markets are very mature and uh, uh, level of consciousness is high, it was not the case here. So you have to start from somewhere. So I would say with more, most organization is uh, we are at an awareness stage. I can't even say it's beyond that. But also, even with that awareness stage, there is a big, big challenges. Like people are not like, uh, sometimes like uh, the reason behind, behind it is not aligned with the, so some people are just managing brand or it's the, the good thing to have at the moment or to talk about. What it's actually, there is a business benefit, you know? And uh, the one that been working in that space for so long, have seen the result. It's not like uh, me coming to tell them or something. They've seen. So I think the, the focus or the shift at the moment is the part of the inclusion. The inclusion is so difficult to, to actually achieve. You know, at the end of the day, we're human. We have biases and all. So it is really tough. It's really tough and you can't do it if you don't actually invest on developing the awareness of the individuals. If you're not ready, ready as an organization to, to invest at long term, just don't embark because it's not a topic. It's not a topic. It's, it's just a strategy. It's a way of how do you leverage your talent. Mm -hmm. And when you're speaking to a senior business executive who's very focused on top line growth and bottom line growth and all the metrics of the business, yeah. how do you convince that person that diversity and inclusion are going to contribute in a meaningful way mm. to their business growth and, and the needs of their investors and their, their stakeholders. Okay, so I always use numbers because I love numbers, so I give them numbers. So in every interventions that I have or when I'm designing, when I'm working with an organization, I work with KPIs. I work with their KPIs and my own KPIs. And I will tell them, these I guarantee, these I can't guarantee. 
this requires you as well to do some work. So I'm always uh, uh, showcasing that. And also, like, you know, there are, like, if I'm being honest, a lot of, of the CEOs, a lot of, of the top level do know. They do know, like, you know. It's, it's uh, what is the challenge is the cost involved in full-fledged intervention and, and our desire for quick response, you know, so that actually prohibit us from going for something long-term. So if I don't see result now, I'm not able to invest for, like, you know, I can't justify my expenses because it's an expenses at the end of the day. A lot of, like, this is, this is the reality. So what I tend to do in every, uh, uh, every intervention is, is actually have that quick win so that they can see some uh, progress, like they can, they can sense it and work on the long term. Like, you know, as we're working on long term. But I'm always seeking uh, efficient solution and rapid solutions because I know that people don't have time. They don't have time. It's, it's unfortunately, we have actually uh, a focused efficiency uh, in our, uh, in our lives. Like, you know, we have a generation that we can't focus. So for me, I use, for example, I'll give you the example, for example, uh, one example that we do in diversity and inclusion, which you can see results, is mindfulness. So uh, mindfulness in the workplace is different from mindfulness that, you know, when you have uh, the amount of luxury to, you know, to indulge in one hour of this, two hours of that, going on retreats and all. But what we do, actually, we, in collaboration, this is another thing that uh, helped, helped us actually grow as a business, is we don't create, we don't recreate the wheel. If we know of someone who does it better than us, we collaborate with. I'd rather earn 10% than earn nothing. The most important for me is how do I service that client at its best? So I have a lot of partners or collaboration around the world with people who have similar values. So when client approaches me, I don't actually design on myself on my own. So I invite people, I say, this is the, this is the issue and what can we do? So going back to diversity and inclusion and how to show them. So, for example, in mindfulness, we collaborate with an organization. And I tell you one thing, within four months, and we've seen it, it's not like it's not an uh, organization have actually measured it. Some of the measurements we didn't actually commit to. Mm. And it was, an out, it was, it was a, like a, a an bonus. extra bonus. Yeah. Uh, stress level reduced, focus increased, uh, the, the life work-life balance that is always an issue shows up awareness level high so and what happened performance increase productivity increase that's it it's not like it's 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 uh, productivity as people rather than tasks so it was it was like uh, uh, things that we didn't even like you know we can't promise increasing performance but actually if you help people focus more you will get that because the, you're, 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 how much time are we losing in uh, being distracted by different things in our lives, like, you know, including technology, which is a bless and, and a curse. So, mm. yeah. Going back to what we were discussing earlier a few minutes ago about the different types of diversity. Mm. And uh, we acknowledged that it's much broader than yeah. just gender, culture. It goes into your, your, the deepest values that you, that you have. But I believe one of the things that you and your business sustained leadership is particularly focused on is female empowerment, female development, and leadership. 
Um, yeah. So tell us about that and how have you seen that developed and what are some of the biggest barriers to female leadership in both the for-profit and non-profit sectors? Yeah. Okay. So yes, it is for me as well, like being, being a woman myself, like an... Uh, having worked in various space, like, you know, as a consultant now, as like an entrepreneur that is leading her own business too. And also as a, it, it's really important for me that you, uh, you develop the confidence and the self-esteem uh, for women, but also so to help them see the choices. Because one of the things that I, I, I feel like uh, there's a, we have a, a challenge and it's not just women I think it's globally but women in particular we feel like we're trapped we don't have choices we don't have that many choices like you know we either do this or that like you know there's no either way and uh, when you look at the leadership uh, model that we have out there as female leadership model uh, they're great they're absolutely amazing in their own like you know they're they're inspirational and uh, and and fantastic on their own right but they are also a reflection of an entire system, which is one way of leading, which is extremely masculine. And when I mean masculine here, I don't mean men or women. It's masculine and feminine is genderless. Like, you know, I have masculine and feminine attributes and same applies to you. Like, you know, it's not, uh, it's got nothing to do with our gender. So that's why, like for me, it was really important to engage because development is really important. I don't think I need to empower women as such. Because I think if we can give birth, if we create life, give life, I don't think anybody has the right to tell me I'm empowering you. Come and do it. Come and make it happen. And then, then tell me I'll come. I think most of the problem is, is, is actually some of the biases, some of the cultural you know, messaging that we have in our society creates actually limitations we like in our like we have where we get caught up in those stories that limit us so from time to time we need to learn to unlayer so in the work in sustained leadership is actually help people help women unlayer take these things those messages that are no longer serving them and develop actually reignite that muscle and also develop new muscles you know develop other skills that will help them actually navigate the workplace navigate whatever they want to do in their life. So for me, uh, all the work I do is about showcasing opportunities and options that are available to women and not limiting themselves to one way of doing things. You can be authentic, like you can authentic and grow. You don't have to shift the 360 degree to a point where you end up with a burnout uh, and this so that you can actually showcase your worth and all. There are, there are ways that you can actually be in this, in this world without having to completely uh, uh, change. Growth is important, and we need to differentiate between growth and total, like, uh, and skin, like, you know, coming out of your skin. Like, you know, it's, that's not growth for me. That's, that's a loss. And I feel like there's a lot of, uh, uh, you see a lot of uh, women and men, actually, who are suffering from that loss you know, don't know. And it creates so much anxiety when you think that you're always in charge and top of your life and control. We have obsession about control, by the way. Where actually, no, we don't. I feel like it's, that was my biggest assumption that I had it all under control. It was like, it was, it was a bluff. 
it was a mask so that I can grow. And it didn't serve me. Like, he served me to a point, but then no. So what I tend to do, actually, with my uh, business partner, as well as other women, is trying to create spaces so where women can get together to be. So rather than doing things doing, it's just talking about what is important to me. And talking about your deepest fears and not feeling, feeling safe. And you, you, it's, it's amazing how much power you give back to re people regain, like the women regain, by just doing that. But realizing that I'm, I'm actually, I'm not a failure. I'm capable of doing so many things. So, so for example, one of the spaces that we created is, is the Lean In Circle. So it, it's a peer support that, you know, each time we decide about topic, it's very, like, it takes a different format. Sometimes it's a workshop, but most of the time it's discussions. So we learn from each other's story, literally. That's what. And I find storytelling is the best way of, you know, the best leaders are the greatest storytellers. They're the ones who have a really inspiring stories. And that's what, how we learn for, for generations and generations. And it worked. It's awesome. Like, you know, as a kid, like, you sit on the fire, you hear the stories, you dream it and all. It's awesome. It actually, you know what? Storytelling allows us if, if, to activate our creative side, that we're actually, you know, forget about the rational. Rational is important, but there is another part of us that it's, it's important that we ignite the fun part of us, the engaging part of us, the creative part of us. And that's what we're missing, actually, in organizations. Organization and our learning models are, are actually very boring. I find them very boring. I find myself boring. Sometimes, like, you know? So it's not just that. <laughs> so, so we actually, as we grow up, we forget that we're still kids. Like, you know, we still like to have fun. So how do you bring fun into the, uh, the, the learning so that you actually harvest on inclusion, yet you ignite that innovation that you want within your systems and all. Also, what we tend to do as well, like, and what we've done as well is to take our part of, uh, you know, responsibility as well. We started a link. Like, when I came here initially in 2012, end of 2012, I decided to take sabbatical. I was not planning to work. Not planning at all. Taking some time off. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> With a couple of months, I was looking for things to do. I could not just, just sit and do nothing. And I, made, I met this amazing woman called Linda Merieux, who won at the time a CSR initiative where she, was, she offered coach like mentorship as being a, a solution to addressing the confidence issue, the role model and all. But she didn't know how to take it for forward because she didn't have the capacity of building. I said to her, listen, I think we met at the right time. I will help you with that and I will design an all And So designed with Linda, we designed the link, which is an, uh, a mentorship scheme. A women to women, funny enough, it's just women to women, a one-year program. And it grown organically. We are in our seventh cohort now. Never advertised for anything. We got some funding sometimes like from... Uh, people who believed in us, so they gave us money so that we could sustain our business, sustain the, uh, it's not business, it's, it's a social venture. And it's awesome. It's actually really uh, encouraging because at times we felt like we need to drop because we can't do it at two. But there was part of me that said, no, I can't, I just cannot, especially that I'm seeing impact on other women. I've seen women come in like, you know, right, you know, you read their application, you think, oh my God, Oh, I need to help this woman. You sit with her. Oh, my God, you think, oh, my God, you really don't see what you are, Julia. <laughs> that was, 
And self, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, what I'm seeing here is an amazing, capable woman who can actually make a difference. But like matching them with the experienced women helps them actually uh, uh, reconnect with that confidence because I think there is a huge confidence issue. There is a huge confidence and self-esteem issue. That's been like, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I, I notice. Uh, like we're constantly like having to validate other people. Like I, I use a lot of appreciation. When I see some, when I see something, a capacity, uh, a skill, uh, a gift, uh, uh, a value within one person, I actually bring it forward to that person, because I think that's the best thing you could do for somebody else. And I even introduce it as part of my. Uh, uh, my workshops, like, you know, when I facilitate with people, like in organization, at the end of every workshop, each one of them has to write what did I appreciate about another person. And they have to write about, if they are 12, they write about 12 appreciation. And imagine, that's the best gift. Somebody seeing you, you know, being seen and heard, it's really important. And somebody having somebody validating that and all, it is, it, it does boost the ego. It does boost your self-esteem and all. So any occasion where I have the opportunity to actually do that, I will do it. You know, when I see something real, I don't, I, I don't like fabricating it. So I think because it doesn't serve, but I, that's what I do. The other thing is, is like what we've been doing literally, if I'm like the last three years, I've been listening to what my client says, their issues are around gender inclusion. And what the women in our circles, in our mentorship, in our uh, leadership program, personal leadership program coming into your own, say to us. And now what happened is after three years, I put a request out there. I said, call for action. I said, listen, I have this dream. And this dream is about creating a platform, a, a comprehensive platform that offers women the opportunity to grow and develop at every level of their career cycle, but also support organization, retain as well, and promote inclusion within the workforce, develop that. And initially, my colleague said to me, Amal, put it out there, but I don't think you're going to get any response. I tell you, I think the amount of response that we got, I had to turn people down because it was just not possible to have such a large team working on the... Because in the past few years, we've been creating like small pocket interventions, like, you know, just to support the needs. But I think there is a need for a more holistic, you know, as you... So we're currently working on a project. We called it Project Phoenix. The Phoenix, because the Phoenix... Rising from the ashes. You got it. And it's a rebirth... But it's a rebirth that retain its actually old wisdom. The wisdom does not disappear. So, so for me, like if I look at myself, although I had a burnout, I, was, I, I went through the process of uh, the Phoenix. But there was a lot of learnings from my old life that I carry to this new life. I don't just dismiss and say, that's it. That's an old chapter of my life. I don't want anything. There's a lot of wisdom there. And one thing that we don't do is harvest that wisdom. We're constantly on the move that we don't have time actually to reflect and say, what is the one thing that served me from this? If there was one little thing that I can carry away, okay, take with me from this experience, what would it be? We don't celebrate, by the way. We never celebrate success. What we celebrate, what we, we dwell on is the a lot is, is the failures. Or and the challenges. Challenges and all. And we, you know, it's... it's uh, Success is 
it's also like we need to celebrate it and we need to harvest the learnings from those successes because they didn't happen out of just there is there is like I say to people there is a pattern there is a DNA like like the, you know like the circles I always say to people we need we need more circles we need more spaces that allow people to reflect to explore we don't need to bring people into a workshop or we just bombard them with information. I think knowledge is available everywhere. I don't need to, like, you know, yes, as, as a facilitator, we're packaging that knowledge in a way that actually works, like build, you're creating the, 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 the uh, thought processes. But still, it's not the essence of that gathering. It's not about dumping knowledge, but it's the exchange that takes place around that knowledge. That's what, that's what the richness is. But we seem to neglect those moments. We think it's not important. But that's where, like for me at least, that's where ideas come. That's where genius happens. That's where, you know, beautiful things emerge. It's not when we're constantly... Uh, and so in every circles, like in every uh, things we do, that's what we're trying to replicate. And with Project Phoenix, is actually creating more of those spaces. And how do you stay so full of motivation and charged up because it sounds like you are just giving, giving, giving everywhere you turn from your business with your clients to the lean-in group that you uh, manage to now this Project Phoenix. Hmm. How do you keep going on all this without the risk or at the risk of burning out as you did before? Yeah. Oh, no, the, the chances of me burning out would never happen, I hope. Touch wood. <laughs> but I, I, I think like uh, uh, what, what I tend to do is... Apart from taking the six weeks off every summer, which are really important to me, I actually, in my day, daily routine, I tend to have poses, a lot of poses. So I do, I do practice uh, movement meditation. I can't sit and still, by the way. So I meditate in movement, yeah. I am not, like, you know, the more people talk to me about meditation and tell me to sit, it's like, it really frustrates me. And I hate it, really hate it. And I hate people that tell me that. So sitting quiet for half an hour is not going to happen. No, <laughs> okay. no. I can, I, I move quietly. I can move quietly. But don't ask me to just sit. I've always been, like my parents call me Tasmanian devil. From when I was young, I was called Tasmanian devil because I just cannot sit still. At school, I had the same problem. So I, I realized that I actually, my, my time is doing that. So, and also like actually dancing. Dancing for me, it is the best, best therapy for me. I come to live in a dance floor. So in my house, like if I'm working from home, which happens uh, quite often, by the way, that's my office for me. So I put music on and you see me dancing like crazy for like half an hour or whatever. And then I go back and something shows up. Like, you know, when I'm stuck, when I'm stuck, like, you know, things are not flowing, uh, I know that I shouldn't push myself. There is, there is a reason why I'm stuck here. I need to move away from this for now so that I can add. So I just do little things and I love chatting to people. So I love chatting to people. So when I just want time, so I give time somewhere else. And that's it. That's how, like, you know, and also like, uh, yeah, I, I have to say my husband plays a big role in my life. He is, he's my rock. Kind of think I, I probably wouldn't have. So exchanging with him helps me actually as well relax or going for a drink with him and chilling and uh, and a putty cat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pet person, so my babies are my cats and my dogs. So 
you know, being with him, just watching him as he's doing his things, it brings me like, you know, sure. keeps me going, put it this way, when I'm really annoyed with a client, because it happens often, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> it's not smooth, but it's, it's like when I'm frustrated, it is the best therapy, like, you know, it's like it replicates for me, uh, yeah. Keeps the blood pressure down. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> So I read somewhere about your, I think it's your personal leadership philosophy. You like to challenge people to be good foregoers. Mm. What do you mean by that? Because I'm kind of, uh, uh, I'm, I'm interested. So for me, as the for good foregoers is knowing when to let go. It is really important to, like, it, it's really important to have a, a focus, a focal point. Uh, it could be destination, it could be goal or wherever but not to be too obsessed about it either. It's to know when it's no longer serving you and letting it go. It is actually, you're not, that end is a start of something that is better or greater for you. It may not feel at the time as it is because it is scary. It is, uh, it is actually having to change completely what you know and go towards what you don't know. You know, you're, you're, you basically, you believe in faith, like, you know, something higher than you, whatever it is, like, but it is, is about learning to, and it's, it's, it's okay. Letting go, it's okay. It's important. I think it's important. And it is that letting go for me is, is the rest bite. It is more of a reflection space rather than, uh, it's, it's a creative space for me. So it's really important as a leader as an individual is to learn when to let go of things that are no longer serving you. And perhaps trusting that things will work out. Yeah, it's true. And they do. I have to say, like, it took me years. It took me years, I have to say, to rebuild my life again. And I still, like, you know, but I don't regret any part of it. Like, at the beginning, I was really resenting that I had to put up four years. I, I kept saying to myself, I gave up four years of my life to that like why I, and I was bitter toward myself then it was not serving me like you know it was not helping it was not helpful at all it didn't help me heal actually it, do, it didn't let me heal so like letting go it is about vulnerability it is about trusting but from a vulnerable place as well like so yeah hmm. so that's what it is <laughs> so let's switch gears just a little bit okay and move into some rapid fire questions awesome so number one okay if you could post a message on the huge billboard that's on Sheikh Zayed Road, you know, the one near the Mall of the Emirates, <laughs> for an entire month, and you have that entire billboard, what would you put up on that? Just get lost. It's awesome, like, not to know where you're going, where you're, where you're heading, and also sometimes just get lost and be at ease with that. Like, you know, things would be fine. Try something new. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, there's nothing. <laughs> no, they do a bungee jump and try that. See the feeling of it. Yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. Get lost. What book do you give most often as a gift? Okay. So I don't have one particular book. So each time it's depending where the person. But as I said, if there was one book I would give someone now in these days, I would say one second ahead. It's really, really helpful. And what's that about? It's about practical things that you can do to bring more focus, clarity, and awareness into your life. And it's, it's, it's about mindfulness, but it's mindfulness in small bites. That's an introduction to that kind of thing. 
When you're not working hard, as we know you do every single day, uh, what are your personal hobbies or obsessions? What do you explore on the evenings and the weekends? Okay, so I like trekking. So I like being in nature so a lot. So mountaineering or, or hiking, and this that's one thing I love. The other thing is just getting with some girlfriends and cooking for them at home with some loud music, dancing to all rhythm. I love that. That's what I enjoy doing, and that's what I actually try to do most of the time. So that they say if you look hard enough, you can find everything here in Dubai. It's a city that has absolutely everything. Mm. Um, but we know, you know there's still opportunities for growth. So what is your dream or wish initiative for Dubai or a project you'd like to see implemented here? Mm. Do you know what? I would, I would really love for a true space where people can collaborate so that they can solve whatever, can collaborate for, to find solution to their own problems or other people's problems. Like, you know, a space where people can get together to just do that, like, you know, help one another. I want to see that more. And I don't, maybe this is something that I haven't, I haven't seen. Probably it's my African roots actually here speaking. It's that community, true community. Like where regardless of where you're coming from or whatever, is you can come together to help another person rather than just yourself. And on the same time, you're helping yourself really. But And finally, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Be patient and don't lose sight of what's important to you. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Do you have uh, any last word of wisdom you'd like to share with any of the listeners to the podcast? One thing I would say, I, I don't know if it's a word of wisdom or whatever. I would say just don't be harsh on yourself. You may think people have their act together and all, and you are somewhere not. That's not true. Yeah, nobody got his life sorted out. So just don't be harsh on yourself and seek help. There is always somebody that will listen or there's always somebody that could support you. So if somebody wants to learn some more or connect with you offline, where can they go to find more information and, and reach you? Okay, so they can reach me through my email address. So ml at sustainedleadership.com. They can also find out about our various projects, initiatives, uh, 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 services as well in our website which is uh, www.sustainleadership.com. And any of the other handles, like, you know, the, the media, social media handles, like, you know, for they can look for sustained leadership and they, you know, more, more than happy to respond. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. So just reach out. I, I like use any means to reach out. Like, you know, sure. always be... Uh, Amal, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate all the insights that you were able to share and uh, look forward to seeing you around Dubai soon. Same to you. Thanks. Thanks, Matt, for inviting me. You can check out this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash sustainleadership. We'd love to connect with you. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.